Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old, press on to the new. It blesses me and honors me every time you connect with me to listen, to learn, and to grow. As you already know, if you are a subscriber to this podcast, I will incorporate theology, spirituality, biology, and psychology to each and every one of these episodes in an effort to help you see a full, holistic transformation in your life. If you're a subscriber, thank you. If you are new to this podcast, I hope that you get more than you expect. Today's episode is from a message that I recently shared at a local church in McAllen, Texas at Destiny Through Christ at DTC. It is on the power of forgiveness. It is called Prison Without Walls. And so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a lot from it. And I would ask you at the end of this episode, if you would please rate this podcast with five stars and leave a positive comment. Grew up, you know, I grew up in Mexico and my first, uh, you know, position as a pastor was in a Spanish church. And so as I was thinking about that, we would always welcome the Holy Spirit to our service by saying, Ven, Espíritu, ven, y lléname, Señor. Con tu preciosa unción. So that's how we would welcome the Holy Spirit all the time. All right, let's pray. Father, we just come before you in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Say, thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for being uh, who you are, who we are in you, Father, that you love us dearly, Father, that your mercies are new every morning, Lord, that you always extend grace to us. And Father, we're here today to continue to learn from you, to learn your word, Father, continue to grow in all areas of our life. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and to the minds of everyone that is here today and those who are watching online also, Father. Lord, your word is, is, is sharper than a two-edged sword and it penetrates the marrow in the hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, that you expose whatever needs to be exposed, that you heal whatever needs to be healed, Father, that you anoint everyone here today, Father. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. All right, well, today's message, yes, amen. Today's message is more surgical than it is celebratory. And sometimes we go to service, we want to be encouraged and you want to laugh and you want to learn. Well, today you're going to learn, but it's going to be more surgical. So I'm about to pull out, pull out the spiritual scalpel and put it to the heart. So we're going to start to expose some of the things that need to be exposed so we can remove those things and so that you can live the life that God has called you to live. Amen. So today's message is intended to penetrate the heart and the marrow and expose chronic infirmities and dysfunctions that have the heart beating out of synchronicity with that of God's. Okay. So we want to be able to have our hearts and his heart in synchronicity. You know, there was one of the apostles, one of the apostles that could, that actually heard the heartbeat of Jesus. And that was John. If you know the story of John, the beloved, you know, he was so loved by Jesus and he was the only one that would recline his head on the chest of Jesus whenever they were together, you know, having meals and he would recline. And so he was able to hear the heartbeat. Don't you want your heartbeat to beat in synchronicity with that of God's amen? That's our desire. You know, our desire is that. And I, and I shared earlier in the service that there's only one thing that pleases God. There's only one thing that moves the hand of God. Does anyone know what it is? Say it. Faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Remember that I am a teacher and a psychologist. So when I stop, it's fill in the blank. 
It's not, oh, Milton forgot what he was going to say. It's you fill in the blank, please. Okay, so make sure that you are. That's my way to keep you guys attentive. So the word says, as I mentioned earlier in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even the dividing, dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When people say, Milton, I haven't heard from God in a long time. I haven't heard from God. Then my question to them is, when was the last time you opened your Bible? Because God's word speaks to us through his word. That's why it's called God's word. It's his written word. So we open it up, we read, and God speaks to us through the word. We're sometimes expecting the heavens to open up and for God to speak to us from the heavens, you know, in this weird way. And that's not the way God operates. That's not the way he operates. And yes, sometimes some people have said that they've heard an audible voice. I've been a believer for 20 plus years and I've never heard an audible voice, but I've heard from God through his word and especially during my time with him in prayer. And so always resort to the word of God. But I want to talk about two issues that are keeping us from getting or from receiving God's best in our lives. There are two main issues. John 10, 10, Jesus was teaching and he said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, but I've come to give you life, comma, life more abundantly. So I want to focus on that. If you would leave it up on the screen, please look at the scripture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life, comma, and life more abundantly. And I want to focus on the comma. Yeah, I want to focus on the comma. Because on the left side of the comment says, I've come to give you life and every believer, which by the way, this message is for the believers in Christ. Okay, this is for the believers in Christ and you'll understand why I'm saying this. But I want you to focus on that scripture. Every one of us as believers, we understand that God through Christ has come to give us life. We understand that. That's a no-brainer. The problem is that a lot of believers are on the left side of the common and have yet to go on to the right side of the common. So look at the left side. I've come to give you life. We understand that. Amen. Praise the Lord. And life more abundantly. A lot of people have yet to go to the right side of the comma. Now, when God talks about abundance, you know, a lot of people equate that. You know, some, some pastors out there preach, you know, that it, that it has to do with, with economy. It has nothing to do with economy. God's economy, the kingdom's economy, is not the world's economy. When we talk about abundance in the world, everyone thinks about big houses, fast cars, and a lot of money in the bank. That's not what God is talking about. That's not what he's talking about. But it's to live the fullness, the fullness of our lives in him. That's to live that abundant life. It's to be able to cast all of your cares onto him because he cares for you. It's to be able to let go and let God. That is to live the abundant life. It's letting go of what's behind and pressing on to what's ahead. And, and Paul teaches us that over and over. He says, remove all the heaviness. Remove those things that trip you up along the way. Run the race with perseverance. Now, how do we do that? How do we run the race with perseverance to the life more abundantly is by letting go of the things of the past and pressing on to the things of, that God has for us. Okay, and so that's how we get to the other side. So I want to address two things. And I'm gonna go kind of fast because I have more words than time. And I feel really sorry for the lady who's translating right now. So bless her, bless her heart. <laughs> I think it's Gladys. Is that her name? Gladys? She's translating. Gladys, God bless you. Okay. And so because I'll go, yeah, give it up for Gladys. <laughs> there are two, two of the greatest dysfunctions. There are many dysfunctions in the body of Christ. Okay. Many dysfunctions in the body of Christ. But there are two great dysfunctions. The two greatest dysfunctions, number one, is, to, is, 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 is the Christian who is easily offended. 
And number two is the Christian who does not forgive. Those are two greatest dysfunctions. Oh, I'm offended or you offended me. And no, I'm not willing to let go. Now, unforgiveness is the act of not letting go of an offense. It's holding on to hurt. It's holding on to a grievance. It's holding a grudge in an effort to punish the offender when in all reality, the only one who gets punished is the one who does not forgive. Amen? And so it hurts us. It grieves us more than the person that offended us when we don't let go. That's what unforgiveness is. Now, let me say this. Believers don't lose their salvation when they un they're not forgiving. So someone, a believer who is unforgiving, does not lose their salvation. But, <laughs> here goes, I would question, I would question my salvation if I have an unforgiving heart. Let me say it again. You don't lose your salvation when you are unforgiving. You don't lose the promise of eternity. But I would question my salvation and my relationship with God if I have an unforgiving heart. I would question that. I would, I would really have to question that. Now, you don't lose your salvation, but you lose your walk with God. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your health and vitality. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your joy. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your freedom. You're consumed by the offense. You're controlled by the offense, and you become worse than the offender. But you don't lose your salvation. Okay? But I would question my salvation if I'm living that way. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He says, to, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, in us. Forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is an act of the will and not an act of our emotions. You don't say, I don't feel like forgiving today. It's not a feeling. Now, if you're married, you wake up every day and some of you don't feel like loving your spouse. Nobody said anything. Can I hear an amen? Just kidding. Some of you are like, yeah, I wake up in the morning and, or maybe I came home from work and I've got all these issues and these burdens and I just don't feel like loving. Well, you're not supposed to feel like loving. You're supposed to choose to love. And so every day you wake up and you choose to love. And so you go back to think about David, King David, and he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and with everything that is within me, bless the Lord. I mean, look at David's life. Persecuted, abandoned. I mean, he was hated by his own brethren. His brothers didn't like him. His father kind of set him out there to, to go and shepherd sheep and, and take care of the goats and while they were enjoying, you know, the good life. I mean, David had a tough one. I mean, he, he had a tough life, but yet he says, I may not have a reason to rejoice, I may not have a reason to bless the Lord, but I'm going to tell everything that's within me. I'm going to command my mind and I'm going to command my body to bless the Lord. It's an act of the will. It's not an act of feelings. And forgiveness is an act of the will. Unforgiveness is carnal, while forgiveness is spiritual. Forgiveness or unforgiveness is rooted in pride. Unforgiveness is narcissistic. Now, that's a big word, and we hear that a lot these days on social media. Well, he's just narcissistic, you know. Narcissism comes from Narcisso, which was a Greek story of Greek mythology. And Narcisso was a guy who, according to the story, came across this pond that had a mirror-like reflection, 
And Narciso looked at himself in the water, and he noticed how beautiful he was. That's what the, the story says. And he fell in love with himself to the point where he could not stop looking at himself, and he ended up staying there forever and died. That's where the word narcissistic comes from. Someone who's narcissistic feels like they're all that in a bag of Cheetos, okay? They feel like they're everything and they're even above God. Now, unfortunately, narcissistic people don't ever change, unless, of course, they come to repentance. But I'll tell you, as a therapist, narcissism is something that people are usually birthed with and die with. It don't change. And within the body of Christ, we have little glimpses of narcissism when we say, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to forgive that person. I'll forgive all the other 99, but that one I won't forgive. That's narcissism. That's placing yourself above God. Unforgiveness opens the door to the enemy. Unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Unforgiveness is proof of a hardened heart. Unforgiveness puts a stronghold on your life. Unforgiveness becomes bitterness and eventually affects your whole health. Unforgiveness immobilizes the hand of God. Unforgiveness brings destruction into your life, and unforgiveness is fueled by hate. If you turn on the TV today, well, not the TV, but I guess you go to the internet and you go to social media, the news, you'll see hate everywhere. Looting, rioting, you know, people are, are mad. You know, you've got road rage. You've got mask rage. <laughs> yeah, mask rage. Because you're not wearing the mask the right way, the way other people want you to wear it, and they become enraged. So road rage, mask rage, rioting, looting. Everybody's fighting for their rights, and they don't even know what is right and what is wrong. The Bible says that in the last times, evil shall be called good, and good shall be called evil. And that's what we see happening today, and people are mad. You didn't call them the right pronoun, you know? In my day growing up, my goodness, in my day growing up, when we saw a rainbow, we knew that that represented God's promise. Today, when our kids see a rainbow, they think LGBTQ. I mean, they think a whole different story. And I won't even get into teaching biblical worldview because you know me. You can go to my podcast and listen to my latest podcast on the war of the mind of children and how the enemy is out to get your kid's mind. Go to the podcast called Recalibrate with Milton. Check it out. I won't even get into that. That's a whole different sermon. And that's why I'm the head of a school, of a Christian school. I won't have it any other way. And, and if you're a teacher in a public school, God bless you. You have a, you have a, 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 rough, a rough one to tackle. But I'm head of a Christian school for that reason, because we teach biblical worldview. And so anyways, today's life, we look at everything and everything right now, everything that's going on in our world today is fueled by hate. Fueled by hate. Social media is fueled by hate. Twitter, fueled by hate. You name it. You look at someone the wrong way, you say something with the wrong tone, and you're hated. Never is a person more like Satan than when they hate. Let me say it again. Never is a person more like Satan than when they hate. I had this dumbbell, and, uh, and my son, I have an eight-year-old, uh, and a 29-year-old, yeah, if you don't know me, you're probably thinking, did he just say he has a 29-year-old and an 8-year-old? Yes, I did, and two grandchildren. <laughs> okay, how did that happen, Milton? Mm, that's a long story. Okay, my son says, how heavy is this? I said, three pounds. He says, oh, I can do this. And I saw that there was an opportunity for a story, a life lesson. I said, you know what, Daniel? If you hold this 
like this for five minutes, it feels like three pounds. But if you hold it like this for 10 minutes, it feels like five pounds. And it doesn't change, it's the same one. But if you hold it like this for two hours, it feels like 10 pounds. But if you hold it like this for five hours, it feels like 20 pounds. But if you hold it like this for 24 hours, by the time you let go, it has already atrophied. Your, your arm has gone through atrophy. Your muscles can't move anymore. You can't even bend your arm. You can't even grasp anything. You can't even open your hand because everything is kind of frozen. It's just frozen. It's atrophied. You can't do anything. I said, and it's the same dumbbell, the same one, three-pound dumbbell. What does that have to do with anything? Same thing with unforgiveness. At the beginning, for a few minutes, it feels like a three-pound burden. The sooner you let go of it, the quicker you heal. The more you hold on to it, the more dysfunction it creates in your life. It debilitates, it atrophies, and it incapacitates the believer in Christ. That's what it does. The more you hold on, and it incapacitates and it hinders your relationship with the, move, with the Lord and the move of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so you start to see things happening in your life, and you're like, what, why is this happening to me? Well, you've pretty much put up a wall between you and the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with the Lord has been tarnished because you, you think that you're God. And that you can hold things against people. And that you are the, the one who, who controls. Now, God will allow offense in your life. God will allow your neighbor to give you the ugly look or to say ugly things about you. God will allow that lady in the grocery line to, to, to cut in front of you. God will allow things like that to happen like he allowed them to happen in Job's life. And Job said... After all the harm that had been that happened to his life, everything that happened in him, Job said, I had, I had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. God became so much more tangible in Job's life. And so what I'm saying is it's all part of a test, and you either pass the test or you fail the test. It's either we're going to choose to let go and let God, or we're going to hold on and suffer the consequences. When you think about the Israelites, remember the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were leaving Egypt after 400 years, you know, generation after generation of being slaves. And so they leave Egypt after Moses is, is, is uh, you know, charged by God. God says, go and tell Pharaoh to free my people. And after a whole process, you know how that went, eventually he frees the people. And as they're going to a place that they knew about, they had heard about, they knew the description, they had an itinerary, they had a roadmap to get to the promised land, and they knew that it was going to be amazing. This group of people, these Israelites, followed Moses and some other leaders. And a trip of two, two and a half or so weeks turned into 40 years. And the whole time that they were traveling, they were wishing to be back in Egypt. They were having a hard time letting go of Egypt, the place where they suffered, the place where they were mistreated, abused, neglected, hated on, minimized, ostracized. They were still holding on to Egypt and not wanting to go to the promised land where God said, you know, I'm taking you to a place where there's milk and honey, man. This is a beautiful place. But they were too busy holding on over here and they were wanting to stay back there. And what happened? They were physically free, but they were mentally bound. Physically free, but mentally bound. And that can happen to the Christian, to the believers, to the body of Christ, where you're physically free, yet mentally bound still to your past. 
You know, I, I, I told a story a long time ago about going to a, a halfway house, and I would go and minister to these guys that had just been out of prison. I would go to every Sunday for a couple of hours. We would take them chocolate cake, Dr. Pepper, and the Word of God. And that's how we would get them to come and sit down, because we'd say at the end of, the, at the end of our talk, we're going to give you chocolate cake and ice cold Dr. Pepper. They loved that. And all these guys who had committed some heinous crimes were sitting there in the room. And I remember that there was one guy, he was an older gentleman, and every time that I, I quoted scripture, he, he basically completed every one of the sentences. He knew the scriptures. I mean, he knew the word of God. And so I was so intrigued at the end that I went up to him and I said, hey, brother, I said, how long have you been a believer? He said, I've been a believer for 20 years. He said, I came to know Christ in jail, man. I, I, that's where I surrendered my life to Christ in jail 20 years ago. And so I'm intrigued. And I said, okay, wait, hold it. 20 years ago, you gave your life to Christ. You took God to Christ, right? He says, yes. I said, and so since then, you've been in jail for 20 years? He says, oh, no, brother. He says, I was out of jail. He says, I've been in jail five times. Now, you haven't gotten that yet. He says, I came to know Jesus, came to know Jesus 20 years ago. And since then, I've been in jail, in and out of, in and out of jail several times. So he knew the word, it was here, but it hadn't dropped into his spirit. It hadn't altered or transformed his life. That's why Paul says, don't conform to the ways of the Lord, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a choice. Amen? It's a choice. So let me say this. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, my if you don't forgive then my Father in heaven won't forgive. Peter, Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, no. Seventy times Seven. Okay. Before leaving an offering, Jesus said, before leaving an offering at the altar, seek your brother first and seek reconciliation. In other words, in other words, you are rendered unfit to worship God if you have an unforgiving heart. Now, let me say that again, because I want, I want this to sink in because we can come and raise our hands and say, hallelujah, and we can praise the Lord. And we can put money in the bucket. And we can do all those things. But if there's unforgiveness in your heart, you are rendered unfit to worship God. That's why Jesus said, go seek reconciliation before you bring your offering to the altar. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if I hate, that means that I don't love. And if I don't love my neighbor, that means that I don't love myself. And if I don't love myself, that means that I don't know the love of God because God is love. It's all connected. It's all connected. If I'm not able to forgive me and accept me and love me, and this is not a narcissistic uh, uh, statement, if I'm not able to love me and forgive me for my past transgressions and go before God and let go of, of my transgressions, and I can't do that for someone else. If I don't love myself, how on earth can I do something that I don't even understand? And that's why God says, if you can't love, it's because you don't know the love of God because God is love. God is love. You see, our society today equates unforgiving, an unforgiving attitude with strength and grit. If you don't forgive, you know, you, you're, you're just strong and, and you've got grit. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from the enemy. You see, it takes more strength to forgive than it takes to remain hostile, sick, toxic, and angry. It takes more strength to let go. It takes more strength to let go when, you know, when they look at you that way, when they say those things about you, when, they, when, you're, you know, when you're neglected. 
are falsely accused, hurt. It takes more strength to let go than to live a hostile, sick, toxic, and angry life. I mean, I see today here in the valley, people celebrate toxicity. I see pickup trucks that say, mi novia es toxica. I see t-shirts that say, yo soy toxica. Like, I am toxic. Really? And you celebrate that. How sad. And I know that it might be a meme or it's a funny, it's a joke, but how sad is it to think? Now, let me tell you that I believe in the power of words. And this is a little side note, part, not part of the sermon. I believe in the power of words because the Bible says so. And I've seen it as a therapist. I've seen people that repeat things over and over and over, how it becomes their lot in life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? Don't ever, if you have a little girl, if you have a sweet little child, don't ever put one of those t-shirts on her that says, I'm a flirt. Don't ever do that, please. If, 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 you, if you're tempted to buy a shirt that says, yo soy toxica, please don't. It's going to define your life. Yeah? Don't buy your, little, your sweet little boy, you know, a shirt that says, ladies man. You're already labeling that child. There's power in our words, guys. I'm, I'm telling you, there's power. Let me tell you, you know that you have unforgiveness issues when you're easily angered, when you're impulsive, when you always want to air your grievances, when you are compulsive, when you don't take responsibility for your feelings, when you're constantly sick, you gossip about that one individual and you feel righteous and entitled. Forgiveness, my brothers and sisters, is a greater privilege is a greater privilege and a benefit. The benefit is to the forgiver more than it is to the forgiven. Because you release all the power that the enemy could have over your life. Jesus told his disciples, Luke 17, 1, he says, it's impossible for no offenses to come your way. Jesus was saying, it's going to happen. He says, you can't avoid them. You can't run away from them. They're not selective. Offenses will come. You can't dodge them. They will Come. But here's what's most important. Your capacity to process and manage those offenses will determine your overall outcome in life. Your capacity to process, to manage, to let go of will determine the outcome of your life. Amen? If you're not able to confront and overcome those offenses in your life, what makes you think that God is going to give you a greater task? How can God entrust you with something greater if you can't get over what the neighbor said about you? If you're having a hard time pressing on to the right side of the comma, what makes you think that God is going to give you a greater task? God's not looking for perfection. He's only looking for disposition. A heart that is willing. A heart that is willing if you get bent out of shape over the most minute situations, you can forget about being commissioned for a higher purpose. I told you I wasn't here to bring a, a message that was going to make you laugh and smile. I, I, I disappear and I come back six months later, so you forget about me. <laughs> but I love you guys. I love you guys. I love this church. Amen. Let me tell you that unforgiveness is the enemy's weapon of choice because he understands how deadly it is. Let me say this. Unforgiveness binds you to your past. It poisons your present and it cancels all future blessings. Let me say that again. 
Unforgiveness binds you to your past. It poisons your present, and it cancels God's blessings for your life. Let me tell you something. I have a hard time forgiving, too. We all struggle. We all struggle. Sometimes it's for the most minute of things or the grandest of things, but we all struggle. When I struggle, let me tell you what I do. As a therapist, we teach people coping mechanisms. Let me teach you to breathe. <laughs> Visualizations, you know, it may teach you some coping mechanisms. As a Christian, this is what I do. Talk about visualization. I take myself to the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane, when I'm having a hard time letting go. I take myself to Gethsemane and I remember that Jesus was there prostrated. He was, he was on his knees and he was seeking his father. And Luke in the gospel writes that Jesus was bleeding through his pores. He was, he was sweating drops of blood. Now, I don't know if you've ever read that part before. A lot of people think that Luke was just being very descriptive. And he was just trying to make it more impactful. But the truth of the matter is that that is a condition called hemohydrosis. And when somebody's going through excruciating pain, excruciating suffering, the capillaries dilate and they mix in with the sweat glands and people perspire blood. And this has been seen when people have to go to, when people have to go to the electric chair because they've committed a crime. They go through hemohydrosis. They start to sweat blood. Luke says that Jesus was sweating blood. In other words, he was going through excruciating pain. Now, the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane comes from two words, Gat Shamanim. Gat Shamanim means olive press. That's where they would take the olives and they would press them. They would extract the oil. Well, Jesus was about to be pressed. And so he's suffering. He's apprehended and taken to the Sanhedrin. He's tried. He goes before Pontius Pilate. They put him next to Barabbas, and they say, who do you want us to free? And the people say, free Barabbas. And when they saw our Lord, they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so there, the Via Dolorosa, the, 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 uh, the, the whole process of him going from, from being tried to being punished, spit on, his beard is ripped, his, his clothes are torn off. He is whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times, so multiply 39 times nine. The cat of nine tails had leather straps with nails, with glass, and every time that they beat our Lord, they ripped off of his skin. The Bible says that he was unrecognizable, unhuman-like. And after he had gone through all the excruciating pain, after he was mocked, ridiculed, insulted, hurt physically, they took him to the cross at Golgotha. And they lay the cross down and they put Jesus on top and they stretched his arms out. And they took nails and they nailed him to the cross. Jesus shows us right there at that moment the greatest act of love and the greatest act of forgiveness. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Unhuman-like, unrecognizable Jesus about to die. And he's telling, he's asking his father to forgive them. And so I take my place, I take my mind to that place 
And then I ask myself, how hard is it to, for me to forgive that individual that offended me at one point? How hard is it? Was I not taught by example through Christ Jesus what it looks like? Maximum, the greatest expression of love. We fast forward after Jesus is resurrected, and then you have Stephen. And Stephen is out preaching the gospel, and he's telling the people that God is not contained within four walls, but that God, that receiving Christ, that we will have, you know, and have the Holy Spirit and, and eternity. So he's basically going out preaching Christ to everyone, and the people of the law get extremely upset. And so they apprehend Stephen. He's the first martyr for Christ. They throw him to the ground. They strip off all of his clothes. And they give his clothes to a man that was standing there to the right. Everyone grabs a stone and they're about to kill him. And Stephen looks up into the heavens and he says, with a smile, he says, I see the heavens opening up and I see them. I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father and they're welcoming, they're about to welcome me into heaven. I'm paraphrasing. This makes the, 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 the people, the onlookers, even more outraged. They grab more rocks and they are going to stone him to death. Now, did you hear what I said, that someone was holding Stephen's clothes? Do you know who was holding Stephen's clothes? Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the great apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus was standing there with a stone in a hand and with Stephen's clothes in the other, and he was about to kill Stephen. And that is Saul, who would later become Paul and write three quarters of the New Testament, the greatest of all apostles. Stephen is about to be stoned to death, and actually when he's being stoned, Stephen looks up and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He followed in the footsteps of Christ. He followed in the footsteps of Christ. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I'm telling you, there are implications. There are spiritual implications for not forgiving. There are emotional implications for not forgiving. And there are physical implications for not forgiving. And I'm, I don't have time to get into the biology of unforgiveness. But again, you can go check out my podcast and you'll find it there. There's one on that, on forgiveness. But people who are unforgiving, according to the Mayo Clinic, have 50% less probability of healing, according to the Mayo Clinic. Because not only do they treat them physically, but they treat them also emotionally. And people who are not willing to let go have 50% less chance of healing from their infirmity, according to the Mayo Clinic. I've done a lot of research in this area, and let me tell you that unforgiveness causes skin conditions. It weakens overall, overall weakens your structure, your, your bones and your muscles. It causes immunity, uh, immune suppression, leading to lupus, fibromyalgia, Crohn's, Hashimoto's disease, cancer, colitis, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, anxiety, depression, fatigue, and insomnia. Now, I'm not saying that if you're suffering from this, it's because you're unforgiving. What I'm saying is that this makes you more prone to developing any of these diseases. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, it's very clear. It's not figurative speech. God's word is truth. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit crushes the bones. There's another translation that a broken spirit is called bitterness. Bitterness. 
Bitterness is, an out, is, a, is a result of hate and unforgiveness. And once bitterness takes root in your life, it's, it's downhill from there. Physically, I've never met an unforgiving individual who lived a healthy life. Never. I've met a lot of sick people who were very forgiving and were able to overcome the disease through Christ, but I've never met an unforgiving person who enjoyed complete health. Never. Never. It's time to let go and to, to let God. It's not, it's not a choice, guys. It's not if you want to. It's, it's actually a mandate. You know, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, my Father in heaven can't forgive you. Won't forgive you. It's a mandate, guys. Today, we have so many reasons to hold a grudge. So many reasons to be upset and offended. So many reasons. But it's time to let go. It's time to let go, and it's time to go from the left side of the comma to the right side of the comma. Forgiveness is a mandate. The five benefits that I put down, praise the Lord, amen. The five, the five benefits, and, and we always, you always like to end with like the, you know, the three, the three key points, or the five key points. Well, I've got five for you just, just, just to keep it, you know, just to keep it um, in sync with everything. Number one, it sets you free. If you don't forgive, you're a captive. You're captive in a prison without walls. Your heart and your mind become your prison without walls, and you become the prisoner. So when you forgive, you set, you're set free. Number two, it frees you from, emotional, uh, from the emotional weight and pain. Number three, it improves your mental and physical health. Number four, it positions you to receive God's blessings. Number five, it pleases God and it is Christ-like. Forgiveness is that one virtue. Forgiveness is that one virtue that makes you more like Christ. You know, my brother Roland quoted Galatians earlier today, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are virtues. Those are Christ-like virtues. But the greatest one is forgiving. That's the one that makes you more like Christ. As I said earlier, hate makes you more like the devil. Hate makes you more like Satan. Forgiveness and love makes you more like Christ. Amen? So, I want to do something right now, and I, I, I want to ask everyone to please stand. Everyone, please stand. You know, my prayer earlier was that God would speak to every one of your hearts and your minds, and let me tell you that there's a, there's a, a couple that's uh, almost 80 years old, my mom and dad over in Raymondville, and they've been praying for days for you guys, praying that you would receive from today's word and that God would do some amazing things in your life. And that's been the prayer. I pray that when you leave these doors, that you would leave with a completely different heart, with a heaviness removed. Every time I deal with people in therapy, and after they've been able to let go, this is what I hear 100% of them say. 100% of them. They say, wow. It's like a heaviness was removed from my shoulders. 
It's like this, 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 this burden. And that's exactly right. God's word says, cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your fears, all of your burdens onto him at the foot of the cross, for he cares for you. He cares for you. You, you are no longer, you no longer, amen, you no longer need to carry this on your own. What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast it all unto the Lord. He says, cast it onto me. Jesus took every one of those sins to the cross. They were all nailed to the cross. You don't have to carry them anymore. I understand that some of you may have been hurt as children, abused by your parents, neglected. Only you know your story. Some of you, some of you have buried your story, but it's there. And every once in a while, it'll stick its head out. But you, you've tried to negate it. You've tried to negate your story. You, you, you tried in your own human nature, in your own limited ability to negate it. But it's there until you deal with it. Now, when I talk about forgiveness, I'm not saying forgive that a person that abused you and then go back to that person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying forgive and set boundaries. Don't go back. Someone once asked me, so that person that abused me sexually as a child, do I go back to that person and say, please, you know, I forgive you? No. You go before God and you say, Father, I forgive that individual and that the enemy will have no power over me, no license over me anymore because I'm choosing to let go. Now, side note, when somebody comes to you and says, please forgive me, there's a difference between I'm sorry and please forgive me. Don't say I'm sorry. Say, please forgive me. Parents, there are times when you need to tell your children, please forgive me. Many times I've been there. And if Daniel's watching me and David right now, they know what I'm talking about. Please forgive me. And I will stay there in his face. And I will wait for him to say, dad, I forgive you. I don't want to hear. It's okay. Most people say that. Please forgive me. It's okay. It's not okay. No, no, no. The benefit is for me too. Please forgive me. I forgive you. The benefit is for me too. We're canceling, canceling a debt. The debt has been canceled and the enemy has no more power over me. It's canceled. So whatever it is right now, I want you to know that David said in the Psalm, he said, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test. Show me if there's any iniquity within me. Show me. Put my thoughts and my heart to the test. Show me. Show me. Show me. I, please close your eyes and bow your heads. And right now, there are several of you in this, in this house today that God is speaking to and that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're either holding on to something, holding on to someone, holding on to a pain, to negligence, to abuse from the past, from false accusations, from physical pain. And you know right now that you need to let go. You need to turn it over to God. God said in his word, mine is the vengeance. I will repay. It's not for you. It's not up to you. Leave it up to God. 
I'm going to give you one minute right now of silence with just the music playing in the background. I want to give you a minute so that you can say, you know, whatever it is that you can pray to God and say, Father, I see what it is. I see what you've exposed during this service. I choose to let go and let you take over. I'm going to give you a minute to do that and then we're going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you allow us, that you bless us with the privilege of being able to let go, being able to forgive. Father, you forgave us the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you said that the old things were in the past and that the new had come, that we were a new creation. Father, we recall the scripture that says that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, that you cast them into the depths of the sea to remember them no more. In other words, Father, if I were to go to you today, if, I, if we were right now, Lord, in front of you, and I could say, Lord, do you remember my sins from yesterday? And you would say, no, son, I don't remember them anymore. I don't hold anything against you. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters here today would know that as believers that you do not, Father, that you, 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 as long as they have a humble and contrite spirit, a heart of repentance, Father, that that is what delights you the most, Lord. Father, that's what pleases you because faith cannot coexist with hate. Faith cannot coexist with unforgiveness. And faith is what moves your hand. I pray, Lord, that they would come to that realization today that we let go, ask for forgiveness, forgive and live that abundant life that you talked about in John 10, 10. Father, I pray a blessing over each and every one of them. I pray that as they leave these doors today, this, this place today, Father, that they would leave with a different heart set, a different spirit, that they would leave the weight behind, the heaviness, the burden behind, Father. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus that you would bless them and anoint them, Father. That you would speak to them in their time of prayer, their time of worship, their time of studying the word, Father. Bless them, Father. Right now, I want to take, just as you are with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want to ask those of you who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I said originally at the very beginning, this message is for believers. And now I want to extend an invitation for those of you who have yet to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're thinking, well, how do I start? How do I do this? Well, the first thing is that you say yes to Jesus. You accept him into your heart. The Bible says that he comes and he cleanses you. He makes you brand new, a new creation, old things in the past, and new has come. That's what the Bible says, that all of those who are in Christ are a new creation. If you don't know what that is, what it feels like, if you've never been there and you want to do that today because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, then 
I want to pray that prayer with you so that you can accept Christ in your heart. If that's you, everybody's eyes are closed, heads are bad. If that's you, can I just see your hand? I just want to see you raise your hand, see who you are. If you're like, today, I need, thank you, brother. I need Jesus. I see that. I see that. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Thank you. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray with me to support our brothers and sisters that are accepting Christ for the first time today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I repent of my sins. And I know that you're the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose on the third day. I open up my heart, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Make me brand new. Lord Jesus, as of today, I will follow you the rest of my life. And I know that I have an eternal life with you. Amen. Give the Lord some praise today. I hope that message spoke to you. I hope that after this episode that you are ready to let go and let God take over. Once you do that, you will see the benefits in your psychology, in your biology, and of course, in your spirituality. Don't forget to rate this podcast with a five-star rating and <laughs> leave us a comment. Please take a few minutes, drop us a comment. I love reading them. God bless you guys. Love you in Christ. <laughs>